Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I want to talk about imposter syndrome. And I want to talk about imposter syndrome both in the way in which academia helps perpetuate feelings of inadequacy that we that we as PhDs probably are already feeling. And then talk a little bit about how that imposter syndrome, our desire to be perfect, to be the best, to be experts, to be to get A pluses on everything we try, can really prevent us from being successful in making a career transition to a non-academic career. Now, what is imposter syndrome? Well, we, we, we know what it is, right? Imposter syndrome is just doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud all of the time. You're not good enough. You're not working hard enough. Your accomplishments never add up. You're not working to the extent that you should be, or, you know, you, perhaps your imposter syndrome creates a very negative internal dialogue inside your head where you're constantly beating yourself up, right? Where your flaws or failures or mistakes are just bright yellow lights and they're all you can see. And you push yourself right? By pushing into your pain, your pain points, you push yourself to work harder, to go faster, to do more by, by pushing on these painful, you know, these painful things. You're like, well, maybe I'm not good enough at this, or I don't know enough about that. And so in order to drive yourself to be better, to achieve more, you just push, push, push into those pain points. Your negative self-talk just continues to, to whip yourself up. Right. Um, The other piece of imposter syndrome is constantly looking around, constantly looking around and evaluating yourself against what you think other people are doing or achieving. Imposter syndrome is also evaluating yourself against the impossible, right? So as overachievers, we often set these bars for ourselves that are so high and impossible to achieve. And then of course you don't achieve them because nobody can. And then you beat, use that to beat yourself up. Oh, you're not doing enough. You're not working hard enough. Other people are working harder. Imposter syndrome also strips you of feeling satisfied in your career because again, your accomplishments are just never enough, right? You don't have what other people have, or you haven't achieved what you want to achieve. And so in academia, again, we're constantly looking around and we're comparing ourselves to our peers. Well, Academia, first of all, it attracts overachievers. And the science behind imposter syndrome shows that overachievers tend to suffer from imposter syndrome. So here we are swimming in a pool full of overachievers with almost everyone feeling like they have an imposter syndrome because that's part of our personalities, part of the personalities of academics. Then we layer on top of that a a world of scarcity. As we talk about all the time on this podcast, There's just not enough jobs or research money. There's not enough opportunities to publish. 
There's not enough tenure track positions or openings in graduate school at R1 institutions. And so we're constantly thrown into a competitive environment where we, no matter what we do, even if we do everything we can within our powers, it probably won't be enough because we're in a, in a culture of scarcity. Plus, we lay, there's the layer of peer review, which by definition, right, requires peers to evaluate and, and critique the work of others. So you're very hyper-conscious of what your peers are doing because you're evaluating them, but they are evaluating you. And, you know, peer review can be a very brutal process. People in academia often take the opportunity to provide criticism and critique of others to really tear down other people, you know, and that's part of imposter syndrome. Part of imposter syndrome is that when you doubt your abilities and you're feeling like a fraud, then you want to turn around and you want to point out other people's failures and, and limitations in order to build your, build yourself up. It's part of leveling the playing field. If you're not going to achieve something so impossible, well, you can sure point out that other people aren't achieving that too, right? You can point out their pain points and point out their flaws and failures. And for a minute, that's going to make you feel better about yourself. I'm not saying you do this, but that's part of that viciousness in academia, right? Is to tear other people down on your way to the top. So here we are, right? We're in a, a culture of overachievers competing for scarce resources and reviewing and critiquing each other. It's a recipe for a toxic culture. And what too often happens to graduate students and PhDs is we begin to feel like we're not good enough, right? This begins to affect how, how we feel about ourselves, our worth as people, our value as people. And that ultimately is the danger of imposter syndrome. It's where we start conflating our self-worth as people with our work and our accomplishments. And because we will never achieve everything we set out to achieve in life, and because we will never feel good enough about our accomplishments, we will never feel good about ourselves. And that is the, the real danger of imposter syndrome for graduate students and PhDs. It's what pushes us to maintain unhealthy work-life balances. It's what pushes us, us to sabotage relationships with peers um, and colleagues because we're competing against them, right? And it it's part of this mental health crisis that's just throughout academia, right? 50% of graduate students and postdocs are suffering from anxiety and depression, which is six times the rate of the general population. And this toxic culture and imposter syndrome is a huge part of creating that mental health crisis in academia because imposter syndrome leads to anxiety and depression. So for those of you that are still in academia, let's talk for a couple minutes about ways that you can try and overcome your imposter syndrome. The first thing that I recommend you do is you got to make friends with people who are not in academia because that's going to help you have perspective on the, the, who you are as a person compared to what your work is, right? And your work is not who you are and your work is not a reflection of your value as a person. You have value because you are a person, right? You're worthy of love because you're a person. You're worthy of respect because you're a person. You don't have to prove that to other people. That's just part of your basic humanity. When I was in my third year of my doctoral studies, I spent a semester doing archival research in Philadelphia. 
and I rented a room in a house where my roommates were working professionals. And that semester, I realized just how unhealthy my lack of work, work-life balance was, right? My roommates were all creative people. They were interested in art and theater, but they didn't work evenings and they took the weekends off. And compare that then to my academic friends who were who lovely people, but because we were part of this toxic culture of comparing ourselves to other people and always doubting our worth and, and never feeling like we were good enough and, and worried that other people, right, would figure out that we were, you know, we're frauds, we would push each other to work harder. We'd meet up on the weekends to study or, or work instead of taking time off to rest and relax. And, you know, we also would just talk about our program and gossip about our peers. We had no separation between our work and our lives. Our department became our world and our work became our identities. So part of overcoming imposter syndrome is finding other ways to feel good about who you are so that your work and the success and failures of your work don't define who you are or how you feel about yourself. Now, I've also touched on this other piece, which is that imposter syndrome can drive our negative self-talk. And we push ourselves through negative self-talk. We can be our worst critics. But remember that negative self-talk isn't actually productive. Instead, what you're doing is you're internalizing all the worst, unkind, and toxic things people have ever said to you. It makes you doubt yourself. Think about it this way, right? If you write down the the worst things you say about yourself and you had a friend who said that to you all the time, how long would you be friends with that person? You'd break up with them in a heartbeat, right? You would be like, don't talk to me like that. I get lost. So why do we accept that negative self-talk from ourselves? So instead of pushing yourself through criticism, try using empathy. If you're having a difficult time with your research, that's okay. Everyone has those moments of difficulty. But you're smart and you can do hard things because you've done them before. And if you didn't win a grant or award, it's okay to feel disappointed, but it's not okay to criticize yourself, right? You can evaluate what you can do better on the next grant application, but it's not a reflection of your work, right? Or your worth. It's a reflection of like an opportunity to learn and do better. So it's, it's all in the way in which you talk about yourself, right? Like, oh, I can't believe you were so stupid. I can't believe that, you know, there was a typo. That's probably why you didn't get the, the grant in the first place. Or, or I can't, you know, whatever it is that you've, that you've flogged yourself over. Instead, just flip that and say, all right, I didn't get that grant. I'm going to apply next year. And in the meantime, I'm actually just going to go to some grant writing workshops so that I can improve my grant writing. And hopefully that will allow me to be better next year. So it's not an opportunity to beat yourself up or get down on yourself. It's an opportunity to say, okay, well, that didn't go the way I wanted it. Now I got to figure out a new approach and I got to go learn information, right? You got to take action. So that's the difference between, you know, the imposter syndrome and the negative self-talk of thinking like, oh, you're not good enough. And of course you didn't get that grant and really focusing on your flaws and in your failure. And instead having empathy for yourself and saying, yeah, that was really disappointing. I was really counting on that grant. Now, what can I do in order to improve my applications next year? It's very simple shift in your mental, uh, in your mental, well, uh, your thought process, right? In your mental headspace, but it's an important shift that you need to make. And this brings me to the other really important thing that I've been learning as an entrepreneur, which is that you got to find the opportunity in failure. Failure in academia is a four letter word, which begins with F, right? 
When we don't win or succeed the way we want to, we tend to feel shame and embarrassment or even guilt. But those emotions, again, they're not productive. They don't help us move forward, right? Instead, you got to ask, what can I learn from this experience? So, you know, at Beyond Prof, as a, as a, as someone who's writing a startup, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes over the past couple of years as I've moved from being a history PhD to being an entrepreneur and running a business. Like what I don't know about running a business could fill multiple books. In fact, it could probably fill an entire curriculum, which is what you would take if you got an MBA. I don't know so much, but I, I have humility about it. And this has been a real process. I should say that I didn't start out humble. I started out beating myself up, getting incredibly frustrated when I I couldn't make a website work or when uh, something would break. And I would take that out on myself, right? I would be like, why are you, why can't you can't figure this out? You're not going to be successful. And I would use that negative self-talk about my business and what I didn't know to try and propel myself to work harder. And you know, it wasn't good for my mental health. It was awful. Because it turns out, you know, learning how to build websites is really, really hard. And learn how to, learning how to do marketing is really, really hard. And there was so much I didn't know. So what I w- had to do over the last couple of years is become humble in this process and accept that failure is an important part of my journey in entrepreneurship. It's just a really important part of learning to, to something new, like a whole new career field. And what's fun about entrepreneurship is, you know, you go to these networking events and you'll talk to people who have folded multiple startups and that's okay. I mean, you know, don't mortgage the house, but it's okay in startup world because so long as you're learning, so long as you're developing your skills, you can flip out of a quote unquote failed startup and become quite successful based on everything that you've learned. And so failure in startup world is only a failure if you don't learn from it, right? If you're able to build on what you what didn't go right, if you're able to pivot, if you're able to take information about why a, sa- a sale didn't happen, or why a marketing campaign was bust, or why users hate your platform, and you're able to take that information and be like, all right, I got a lot of learning to do, what am I going to learn next? Well, then you can improve, right? You can build better products, you can build better services, and you can become better at, at your business, and you can and your business becomes better for it. So this idea of trying to find the opportunity and failure, that's really become my mantra over the last couple of years. And it was not something I learned in academia, right? Because failure in academia is bad. Failure is not bad. Failure is an opportunity to learn, right? So now let's flip this out to thinking about how this imposter syndrome that we cultivate so deeply in academia sets us up to to fail when we shift and start looking at non-academic careers. Well, first of all, we're in this world where everyone is an expert, right? Where failure is wrong, where you're supposed to just figure things out on your own. That's not how you're going to get your non-academic job. You're going to, again, have to go humble. You're going to have to say, there's a lot here I don't know, but this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to learn, to learn about myself, to learn about the professional workforce, and to find new spaces where I can thrive and be successful. So like I've talked about before, right? Curiosity is is a central component to a career transition. So rather than focusing on, oh, I don't know anything and no one's going to hire me and 
I can't believe I did this PhD. What a waste of time. And I can't believe that all my friends I went to undergrad with are now 15 years into their careers and their CEOs and they're running nonprofits. And ah, you need to say, all right, I'm doing this. And I'm going to have humility about it because there's a lot I'm going to learn. And then the next piece is to then approach your non-academic job search, again, with some purpose and strategy, which we talk a lot about on this podcast. So the first piece of this is not to focus on what you don't know, is to focus on, focus on what you do know and what you can do. In the discovery phase of the career transition, this is why we start you off by identifying your most marketable skills, because you have a lot to offer the world. And if you're always focused on what you don't know and what you don't do and what everyone else is doing, well, then you miss what's unique and interesting and relevant about you. You miss your value to employers. And that's, you gotta, you gotta start there, right? You gotta really understand that you have value and worth. And yeah, it's different from what other people are doing, but that can be really exciting for employers. And then we move into the research stage, right? Which is an opportunity for you to be curious about the world. And again, it's not an opportunity for you to say, gosh, I don't know. I can't ask any questions. I got to find and figure this out on my own and stress about asking questions. It's an opportunity to be open and curious about the world. And to again, move, move into a moving with that humility and openness to say, you know, I'm really curious about UX research. I read a digital marketing ad and I don't know anything about it. A few weeks ago, I posted on my LinkedIn account a question to PhDs who had moved in, moved from academia to non-academic careers. And I asked them this question, right? Like, how did you get over the imposter syndrome, feeling like you didn't know anything? Because, you know, the truth is lots of us don't know anything about the careers that we're moving into. I didn't know anything about running a business. Um... And, you know, lots of PhDs move into career fields where they, they have the skills, but they really lack that professional knowledge. And so what came out of this was, you know, one of the things that we, that we talk about so often at Beyond Prof was the importance of focusing so that you can learn, right? You have to read yourself into a new career field. And so one of the ways in which imposter syndrome um, can, can prevent us from being successful is you know, because we're, we don't know, we don't want to ask questions. We don't want to network. So we just sit there, right. And we do this, this costly mistake of just writing resumes and firing them off into the, into the ether without ever getting any feedback or, or, or conversations with other people. Cause we're too afraid, right. We're too afraid to admit we don't know. Well, that's not going to be a recipe for success because you don't know, right? You don't know how to get a job in a non-academic career. You don't necessarily understand what people do in coding or what people are going to do in like data science or whatever, right? You have questions. And the people who can help you answer those questions are people who have the job. So again, you have to be curious and you got to reach out and you got to talk to people and you have to be focused, right? We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Professional careers require specialized knowledge and training, just like your academic career has. And part of the anxiety, right, of, of getting over that imposter syndrome is that we, in academia, we spend so much time becoming experts in our field that we have to leave our comfort zone. And we have to then move in to uh, like entry-level positions and learning things all over again. And that can be scary. It can be intimidating. And it can also feel really overwhelming and exhausting. That's when you need to have empathy for yourself because it is hard, right? All right. So I asked PhDs how they moved into non-academic careers. 
And, you know, Peter, who moved into marketing, he talked about the fact that, you know, part of it was letting go of his subject matter expertise and just realizing that nobody wanted, uh, you know, his background in theology. But he was able to, to identify his most marketable skills, which were his ability to take information and synthesize those insights and then communicate those effectively through writing. Um, and then, you know, he talks about, he talked about in his response to my question about spending a couple of hours, you know, just reading himself into the new career field. And it took him about two to three months, which is what Melissa uh, also said on the post. Melissa, who's our digital marketer, she said it took her about two months of reading herself into a career field before she felt like she had a passing knowledge, right? She wasn't going to embarrass herself. So she did a lot of, she listened to a lot of podcasts, she read a lot of blogs, she talked to a lot of people, she did a lot of informational interviews. And by talking to people, she was able to gain that confidence that like, hey, you know, she she needed to learn the industry specific language um, and and the knowledge that went into to digital marketing. But, you know, she had the skills and she's smart and she can learn it and she has. And that's like with Peter, right? You're smart. You can learn this. You've done hard things. And that's how you begin to overcome, you know, your imposter syndrome is you begin to focus on your strengths, which is curiosity, research, an ability to learn new things, an ability to teach yourself new things. And you got to hunker down into that. Renee Ann, who I've talked about before, you know, she's moved into, um, she moved into uh, project management and team coaching. And she, again, she said, like, I did a lot of self-learning to pursue a couple of industry certifications. And she t- attended a bunch of meetups and engaged in pro bono work and did some job shadowing. And again, she had skills. She had value. She just was missing that little piece, right? Which was just had to read herself into a new career field. And there was lots of ways for her to gain that knowledge and information, but she had to do it herself and she had to leverage her desire to learn, to be curious, um, and to engage others and to ask questions and to get help. Uh, and so again, that humility is the opposite of the imposter syndrome, but the other piece of this too, is trusting other people. And that can be hard as academics, because like I've said, we end up in this really toxic culture where people lash out at us and where people, you know, oh, you're so stupid. I can't believe you asked the question. And they take advantage of your vulnerability to squish you, to push you down. That's not going to happen when you're doing informational interviews. I mean, it might happen. It might happen once or twice, but for the most part, people are really excited to engage talent. And people are willing to help others. People in the professional workspace understand what you're going through because they've done it too. Most professional knowledge is gained through on-the-job training. So what you don't know now, they've learned uh, through on-the-job training, and they recognize that you can learn it too. And not everyone's going to help you. But you're going to need to reach out and find mentors and advisors who can help you build knowledge and be successful. And that's also been, you know, a really important part of my journey into entrepreneurship is working and talking with people who value who I am as a person, see the value of my organization and want to help mentor and advise me. And I've been really fortunate to find a number of people who are, are, excellent and wonderful advisors. And and I enjoy that mentorship. And, and again, I have to have humility. I have to say like, Oh, I know. I don't know. (laughs) You just used a phrase. I don't know what it means. Tell me more. And they do. Right. So part of it's finding those trusted mentors and advisors who are going to help you read yourself into a new career field. Finally, and I know I'm running a little bit long on the podcast this week, you got to choose, right? 
because you have questions, because you need to read yourself into a new career field, a haphazard approach to your job search will not help you right? You cannot be all the things to all the people. You cannot possibly learn everything there is to know before you get a job, right? You just need to learn enough, get enough experience so that people will give you an opportunity. And that means being laser focused on finding an opportunity in one career field of interest. And that's why we really emphasize the four stages of career transition, because oftentimes that haphazard approach where you're just reading jobs and you're like, I don't know any of this that overwhelms us. It feeds into our imposter syndrome. And we don't have any opportunity to actually build. So if you become laser focused in a career field of interest, you have an opportunity to do exactly what um, Peter and Renee Ann and Melissa did, which is take the time to read yourself into a new career field so that you become comfortable and competent in the professional work uh, career that you're wanting to pursue. And so that you can then find people who will help mentor and advise you and give you opportunities to gain experience. And through that experience, right through getting on the job training and having success in your non-academic work, you will be able to overcome that feeling of imposter syndrome because you're going to become an expert in this other career field. And you're going to do it in a space where people value you. And that is the beauty and the joy of walking away from academia and it's toxic imposter syndrome, hyper overachieving, hypercritical, uh, toxic culture. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of job search, the smart way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs for more resources to help you launch your next great career. Be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.